Welcome to Biblical Perspectives brought to you by the Ecumenical Catholic Church of Christ. Join your host, Father Dr. Tom Roberts, for discussions about the Bible and related conversations about theology, spirituality, and more. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to today's broadcast. I'm your host, Father Dr. Tom Roberts. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to give our program a listen. Why do we have so many religious people? And does religion negate the Spirit of God in people? We used to hear when I was a very young lad comments from people, oh, that couple are so religious. I'm sure you heard comments like that if you were alive in the 50s and the 60s as well. That term religious has kind of grown out of our usage now. It's no longer in vogue to say such things. But still, the idea is, is it wrong to be a religious person. We used to say, well, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, and he doesn't go with girls who do either. So you have to think about that one a minute. But we're always looking to religion to provide standards. Sometimes those standards actually our bondage. Then we get people clear on the other extreme who say things like, well, I like unorganized religion. By the time I was in high school, a lot of the Jesus people were saying, well, I don't like society's religions, but Garner Ted Armstrong complained back then, they accepted society's Christ or view of Christ. Well, because that's all they knew at the time in my generation. So what do we make of this? We have people who do religious acts of contrition. We have others who believe on a pilgrimage they should crawl over rocky pathways to get to a statue. We have others who kneel to man-made statues. Others have elaborate church theologies that they import into their spiritual practices. So what do we make of this, as I asked you earlier? Anybody can be religious. Not everybody can be faithful. And obviously, being religious in a certain liturgical practice to worship God has its place. However, just practicing religious rituals that someone else has come up with doesn't necessarily make an individual righteous. 
We hear in America, a lot of people say, but I'm a good person. I work hard. I pay my taxes and love my family. Why wouldn't God be pleased with me? The evangelicals fire back, you know, from the book of Ephesians and other places. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And obviously, they don't read the rest of the verse that says in Ephesians 2 that we should walk in righteousness and good works. We were created for them. How does God define good works? How does God define what is spiritually relevant? Many people will quote the first chapter of James, where the word religion is used for religion. And it will talk about a pureness of spirit. It will talk about visiting the fatherless and loving the widow as a sign of pure religion that isn't muddied up with guile and with self-righteousness but simply cares for the people being served. Now, that should be the ethos of our religion. That should be what motivates us. That should be the center, because love fulfills or brings to pass. Plero, the law in Greek. It brings it to pass. It fulfills its designs and its expectations. Love for God. Love for humanity. Okay, that's the centerpiece. That means our repentance has been genuine and that it's motivated by the Spirit of God. So a person has the right motivation. They're not overtly self-righteous or they're not overtly narcissistic, but they are indeed genuine. Now, notice we all have some of that in our character. It's a matter of degree, but it isn't center stage is the point I'm attempting to make. All of us battle human nature. All of us some days can do very good things, and seem to have wonderful and reasonable motives. But hit the human nature button and shazam! What happened here? It's almost like we're two different people. Well, Paul describes that battle between his flesh, which we understand far too often uh, in Christianity, to mean the flesh is evil. In more of the Hebrew frame, it's natural. So we should really read those verses. I do what's natural. Human nature is just what's natural for us to do. And the Apostle Paul uses that term in Romans 8 as well as there is a struggle for us to do good. 
God meant for that struggle to take place so we would choose right over wrong, that we would have to think about it, pray about it, meditate about it. We would have to overcome obstacles to deal with our own nature. So there's the Yetzirah, that's one voice, the Yetzir Hatav. We either have the inclination to do good or evil. How about your choices? We're all creatures of habit. People say, I just can't quit doing that because we're wired habitually. We learn to do things very, very, very well over and over and over again. That's how we learn to roller skate, not touch the hot stove, learn to write, trial and error, just habitual over and over and over again until we learn to get it. But we oftentimes develop bad habits in that frame of learning. It takes us 50 more times the effort to unlearn something once we've learned a bad habit. People look to religion to help with some of these frailties. A misunderstanding of ritual is, well, if I tithe, God will give me a heavenly Cadillac as a blessing. Wow, what a deal that is. But yet that's not the purpose of tithing. The purpose of tithing or giving offerings is so that other people can be blessed with the gospel. So that other people can be seen as our crown, as the Apostle Paul said. You are my crown. He suggested in the book of Second Timothy, the people he was writing to, the people Timothy was interacting with. Everyone who loves others, who's being called of Christ, who bears the name and the authority of the Messiah, is to have a crown. Jesus knew what that meant. What was laid up for a person in righteousness. That's where the real wonderful benefit is of faith. Is not just my blessings here and now, but to think there is an eternal reward That is our crown, our Stephanos. That will be given to us when Christ offers his judgments based on our good works that we were created for.
We are not saved according to our good works. We are rewarded and judged by them. The New Testament is very clear. Read Revelation 22 and verse 12. He will come and he will reward every man for whatever his works have been. Good works are a sign of righteousness. They do not give it to you. I don't care which religion you belong to and how they might stress that point. But when they do, they put the cart before the horse. And we'll be right back with more discussion about what is justification and what is righteousness in the true spirit of religion right after this. Looking for an affordable online school that offers biblical, theological, and liturgical education to prepare you for social justice and ministry? St. Anthony's Liturgical House of Studies has the solution. Visit stanthonysliturgicalhouse.org for a current listing of programs and courses and to register today. It behooves us all to think about these questions. Repentance is something we do. We turn and hear the broadcast of Christ's gospel begging and urging us to turn to a new way of living, a better way of living that helps us to live by the power of the Spirit before the kingdom gets here because occupational forces are indeed needed. And it is the justification of Christ is what we walk under to avoid eternal judgment. And that means eternally being kept from the kingdom, not punished forever, as tradition claims. The other part of this we must understand is good works are given to glorify our Father's reputation in heaven. If we are not living a faithful life, then God's people in the world act as a blemish upon God's name. And God takes a very dim view of those religious practices. Sometimes God will let false doctrine come in, as he did in the book of Hosea, chapters 2 and 3 where even the festival times and dates were changed. And we understand that they were handed over to a wicked king, the people of Israel, and Hosea deals with those practices, saying, I never honored your practices, your festival days. And that change went back to the days of Rehoboam, in our Old Testament as well, and God didn't honor their worship. Interesting. Does God honor my worship, your worship? 
we really don't question that very much, do we? We should. Not in a faithless sort of doubt that produces worry on our part. I've had people worry whether or not they've committed the unpardonable sin because they said something in anger to God. And was that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. I believe we want to address God as our Father reverently, personally. I tell him off once in a while too. And that's an act of faith because at least you believe that he is involved in the equation. But what drives our inner driven spirit at that point? Our locus of control should be God-centered. It's a great book called God at the Center that talks about this. What drives us to love others even though we're hurt? Even though we're disappointed with their action? If it's merely us, then we may not have quite enough love if we concentrate on how we've been hurt or where we think someone is wrong or they've wronged someone we love. Bible never says to lay down and just pretend it didn't happen like some pacifist advocate. It says talk it out. It says get counsel. It says confront your enemy, and that just means a person you've had a three-day breach with doesn't mean enemy in the modern sense. Your adversary or your opponent would be better translated there. Just due to the cultural differences from the ancient world, the reason it said do not Let your wrath go down beyond the sun because it's harder to repair, number one, the more time goes by. Number two, you didn't want to turn the person into an enemy after three days. You wanted to keep them in the friendship category. So there was a little different culture there to deal with an opponent than we see now. When Jesus says, forgive your enemies, he's assuming that there was a trespass, a breach, a transgression. But what is at the center of our religion? Is it to make us have salvation only? Is it about us? Is it about to be right in the eyes of others? If I get to be a bishop or a pastor or a church leader, 
will that bolster my faith in Christ? Or will others look to me for leadership so my ego is bolstered? These are questions that all of us in leadership, secular or church, need to ask, need to make sure. If you bear the name of Christ or any deity or standard of faith, go ahead and ask that question. Is it about me? Although we have a part in it, we partner in faith, as Dr. Gorman so beautifully describes in his book about mission in the book of Romans. We partner with God. We obviously have something to say about it. And we obviously have something to gain from performing these exercises spiritually. But once again, I ask you as my audience, most Westerners believe in some kind of deity. The numbers are still pretty high there. Many of these are Christians. Many are getting fed up with the corporate church and corporate religion. Now, Lycan says, Amen, said the preacher. And I can agree with that. But what do we replace it with? Faithful membership in faithful churches with faithful and biblical practices. If you want to have biblical faith, do biblical things. If you want to have God at the center of your life, decrease yourself a little bit in the equation. For someone has said, he must increase. I must decrease. As long as our religion is about ourselves, then we will always be left empty. If we are pressed down and shaken up like a wine press and we have wonderful things to do and give to others from God, then therefore our faith is living. Our faith is powerful. Religions sometimes misunderstand statements like this out of the New Testament. When Pentecost shall come, go to Pentecost, go to Jerusalem, and on the day of Pentecost receive the Spirit. Those were instructions. Then it will say in the text in Acts chapter 5, The Holy Spirit is given unto those who obey him in Peter's sermon. Aha, you've got to obey God to get the Holy Spirit. Well, to keep it active in your life, that certainly makes things simple. 
but they're forgetting that was a Pentecost expectation to go and tarry those 40 days until Pentecost actually came. And so there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people because they obeyed God on the birthday of the New Testament church. And we make that some legalistic prescription to mean to obey church doctrine. Simply isn't what it's talking about. Others have penance, which was a very old religious practice. After you repented, you put up some stuff for it because you wanted to show God through contrition and other acts and things you did that you were sincere. And in that context, it makes a great deal of sense. But when you do it for the church and not for spiritual disciplines to keep you anchored in your calling by maybe giving something up, you know, because it's got a hold on you, it's a vice, and you want to quit so you can spend more time in prayer and Bible study and service to others. That's what those concepts were for. Instead, we have made them religious practices to please people, to please churches. And the real meaning they were given is oftentimes lost. It's the very same thing in regards to tithing. Tithing is an act of praise. It's an act of worship. It's not a heavenly tax that the church has the right to take. We're commanded to give. We're commanded to love and support. As the book of Philippians says, the work where we ourselves are blessed. You see, we take these things and we lose their original meaning when we just become religious. Like in the 1950s, they had a program, Living with a Religious Family. It was put out by the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church. And yet, Just being religious is not enough. We must be faithful and have God at the center of our operation and life. I hope this broadcast has got you to think about these things maybe in a little different mode than you thought about them. In the past, there's a lot of sincere people. What did Christ say to the Pharisees and other Jewish sects in his own day? If they weren't faithful, he'll say, I never knew you. I want to really know Christ. I want you to know Christ as well. 
so we never have to hear the words, depart from me into iniquity. I want him to tell us, well done, my faithful servant. This is Father Tom Roberts saying, thank you for listening and be faithful, not always religious. Thank you for tuning in and we'll have more next week. Thanks for listening to this week's Biblical Perspectives program. Tune in to the program next Thursday on WBCQ as Father Dr. Tom Roberts continues his discussion about the biblical-related topics. For more information about Biblical Perspectives and the Ecumenical Catholic Church of Christ, visit ecumenicalcccc.org. If you happen to be in the Los Angeles or Detroit areas, please be sure to visit the Cathedral of the Archangels and Seraphim Ecumenical Catholic Church of Christ and the Cathedral of St. Anthony. To leave a comment, to support the program, or to learn more about Biblical Perspectives, St. Anthony's Cathedral of Liturgical House of Studies, and their sponsor, the Ecumenical Catholic Church of Christ, visit ecumenicalccc.org. This show, in cooperation with the Ecumenical Church of Christ, was produced by Ricky Insunza and Marty Arredondo of Nightwork Audio, Springtown, Texas.